and it's, it's our prayer that you encounter Jesus in this service, that you encounter and have uh, a, a, a deeper relationship with Christ when you leave this place. Now, I have good news, and I've got bad news, okay? Let's start with the good news. I'm not going to preach about fasting, somebody's happy about that because a lot of times on Ash Wednesday, because we are starting into the time uh, that we call Lent. I did not grow up in a church that, that uh, observed Lent, uh, much like Marvin. Uh, but here's the thing. Usually around, when, when we're entering into this time of Lent, people are giving things up. Some people are giving up candy. Some people are fasting meat. Some people start fasting church, and we don't see them for a couple weeks. But mostly, people start to, to give things up. So we teach about fasting sometimes on Ash Wednesday. Uh, we are going to be talking about something else. And here's, that was the good news. Here's the bad news. The thing I'm going to talk about is even more uncomfortable than fasting. Even more uncomfortable than fasting. It's justice. There's still time to leave, people. You can get out the back door easily. So justice is a scary thing to some people. They don't like to talk about it. And here's why. Because people think that it's political. People think that it's political, so they want to avoid this, this word, justice. And let me say from the start, because I, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea, I have no political agenda tonight. My only agenda is the agenda of the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? And I don't care who you vote for, but I do care who you live for. I care who you live for. And if we want to be people that live for Jesus, then justice has got to be a big part of who we are. Uh, this, this passage that Pastor Sheila just read in Isaiah, we are witnessing a spanking. I don't know if we, when you were younger, you know, and, and one of your siblings was getting a spanking and you weren't and you just like to listen in on it. We're listening in on a spanking to the Hebrew people. And here's the strange thing. If I read through some of the things that are being said about the Hebrew people at the beginning of this chapter, they're pious. They are going to church. They're observing the religious, religious laws. They're even fasting, people. They're even fasting. These must be super believers, right? But God is not pleased. He is not pleased. We hear a very shocking thing in this passage, and sometimes we read these passages and they just become so familiar that we don't let the deep impact hit us. God says to the people, his people Israel in this passage this, he says, if you think that you can have a relationship with me and not have a relationship with the poor and the oppressed, you're wrong. Again, if you think you can have a relationship with me, but you, you don't have a relationship with the poor and the oppressed, you're absolutely wrong. In fact, earlier in Isaiah, in the first chapter, in verse 13 of chapter 1, it says this, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Now, it's not just isolated to the book of Isaiah either. Listen to this. In Proverbs 14.31, it says this. When whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. You're insulting God if you insult the poor. 
But whoever is generous to the needy honors him. Here's an amazing fact that we learn here, is that our God, the God that we serve, the God of the Christian faith, identifies with the people at the bottom of the ladder. Our God identifies with the people at the bottom of the ladder. Now, I want you to feel the full weight of this because think of how revolutionary this would have been in ancient times. There was no other religion where a God identified with the people at the bottom. They always identified, or the gods were identified with the people at the top, the kings, the rich people, the rulers, the high priests. And in fact, they believed that, if you think about it, they were religions that were based on good works, weren't they? If you do good and you make a place for yourself in society, then the gods must be on your side. So the people at the highest, those are the people God blessed. The people at the lowest, reverse engineer that, you must say, well, the people who are down here in society, they must not have God's blessing. Maybe it's because they're not trying very hard. Maybe it's because they're lazy. But God doesn't say that. God says, I am a God who identifies with people at the bottom of the ladder. Think about this, in a patriarchal culture that, this, that we're encountering here, our God said, I'm the God of the widow. I'm the God of the poor woman. That's what that was at that time. In a culture that celebrated power, this was a might makes right kind of culture. Our God says, I stand with the poor and the oppressed. In a tribal culture, this was a tribal culture. You only cared about the people in your tribe, the people that were part of your nation. Our God said, I stand with the immigrant. Even in the New Testament, Jesus gives this value to his disciples. He, he's, he's telling the people one day, in the, in, at the end of the age, I'm going to separate everyone into two camps of people. Two camps of people. And I'm going to say to one camp, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I... Had no place to stay, you gave me a roof over my head. When I was naked, you clothed me. He'll say to the other group, you did none of those things for me. And that other group's going to say, we didn't, know, we didn't ever see you hungry. We didn't ever see you needing something to drink. And Jesus has a very profound statement that he says to them. He says this, when you did this for the least of these, you did it for me. Jesus identifies with the people at the bottom of the ladder. Now, is any, you know, there might be somebody in here who has walked away from Christianity at one point, and maybe you're just here to make grandma happy. Did you know that this is at the heart of Christianity? I can say that also to people who you call yourself a Christian, you have called yourself a Christian for a long time. Did you know that this is at the heart of Christianity? That this is Christianity? Jesus said, if you don't care for the poor and the oppressed, the widow and the immigrant, you don't care for me. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? But Jesus, that doesn't align with my politics. That doesn't align with my pocketbook. That's, that's not what I signed up for. So Jesus cares deeply about justice. Our God cares about justice. But what is justice? So I want to think about this for a second. Um, there's a professor in Harvard, a philosophy professor named Michael Sandel, and he wrote a book called Justice, What is the Right Thing to Do? And he states that the reason that we all kind of disagree about justice is that we all have different definitions for it. 
In fact, so many different people say, well, I'm behind justice, and then they have a different definition than this person or this person. You get five people together, they all have a different definition of justice, so it's hard to get on that same page. In this book, he, he goes through about seven or eight different philosophies of justice, but you know what? They're all very narrow. They only speak to one aspect of our society. But here's the amazing thing about the justice that we encounter in Scripture. And the justice here, the Hebrew word is mishpah. Isn't that a romantic word? It's Valentine's Day. I wanted to give you a romantic word. So mishpah, this is, this is the justice that we're encountering here in Isaiah. And it means three things, but I think this covers about all of it. The first thing that mishpah means is justice meaning equal treatment. Or we could say it as racial and social equality. And we see through this all throughout the Bible, but I'm going to give you one verse that might be a verse that, that you didn't even know was in the Bible. There's a verse in Leviticus 24, 22. And listen to this. It says, You are to have the same law for foreigners as for the native born. Try to get that passed by Congress right now. This is, this is God being radical at that time. And you might say, okay, have the same laws for this person as for that person. That makes sense. It didn't make sense to them at that time. This was radical stuff because we serve a God that loves equality. And over, all over the Bible, you see that God hates bribes. He doesn't like people taking bribes. He doesn't like people giving bribes. Why is that? Well, bribes put the advantage of the people who can pay a bribe. If you can't pay a bribe, then you're at a disadvantage. It disadvantages the poor. But we serve a God that promotes equality. The second thing that justice is, is this mishpah justice means that vulnerable populations are objects of special concern. Okay? The widows, the orphans, the immigrant, and the poor. Listen to this from Proverbs 31.8. Speak out on behalf of the voiceless and for the rights of all that are vulnerable. That's advocacy, and that is a command for us. That's a command. In the early church, they had people set aside who would take care of the widows and the orphans, that would seek after their needs. This is at the heart of our gospel. Part of biblical justice is treating people who are vulnerable differently, preferring them in some special way because God is a God of mercy. He identifies with the vulnerable. Now, the third thing is generosity. We read also in this passage, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly to those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your glute your gloom will be like the noon. It is a commandment of God, a commandment of God to give abundantly to the poor. It seems kind of unfair though, right? I mean, I made the money, right? It's my choice to do with my money what I want to do. And I know anytime in church, if a pastor brings up money, you think that they're trying to get something extra in the offering plate. Let me tell you this, God does not care about your money. He doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. He wants your heart. But I'll tell you what, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And if you show me your bank statement, I'll probably know something about your heart. At my house, we don't call it a bank statement, we call it a heart statement. And sometimes I, we find out that our stomachs are very close to our hearts. 
So these are the three parts of what this mishpah can mean. It means that God wants us to treat people equally, that God wants us to prefer some people, to, to care for the vulnerable, and God wants us to be generous. Now that you've heard this, do you feel guilty? That's not what I'm trying to do. And, and honestly, feeling guilty is not enough. I, I grew up in a very uh, fundamentalist church, and we knew church was good if we felt feeling terrible. If you felt guilty, the pastor did a good job. I don't want you to feel guilty because I don't think that that changes anything. What I think we want to know is how do we get to be people who do justice? That this is every bit of part of our Christian walk as our prayers, as our worship. That justice is something we live out. If you're a type A person, you're probably thinking this. I know what we need. We need to make a plan. We need machinery. We need to write it down and start an implementation process. I went to, we were, we were having some uh, meetings. Our district office had set up some meetings, these, these justice forums, that we were getting together with uh, laity and clergy, getting together and talking about what is justice, what does it look like. And after about an hour and a half conversation, uh, I'm sitting at folks, not, not from our church, we were encouraged to be with people from other churches, and they said, now, now come up with a plan. Come up with a plan of how you're going to live out justice in your life. And uh, I'm looking around the table, I'm kind of like, well, what do you guys think? And the first person gave the most Methodist answer ever. She said, I know, let's start a committee. Let's start a committee. You know, it's not an organizational problem, it is a heart problem that keeps us from moving towards justice. Beatrice Webb, who was one of the architects of the modern British welfare system, she helped fund the London School of Economics, and she was a socialist, an activist, um, a Brit and, and she was a British leader, and she had given her whole life to, to bringing about social justice. Now, in 1925, she went back and looked at an old diary she kept, and she wrote this about looking through this diary from, from 1890. She said, In 1890, I had written... I have staked everything on the essential goodness of human nature. But now, 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in us and how little they seem to change, like greed for wealth and power, and how mere social machinery will never change that. Listen to this. No amount of science or knowledge has been of any avail. And unless we curb the bad impulse, how will we ever get better social institutions? Here's what she's saying. She's saying this is not an organizational issue. This is not a knowledge-based issue. This is a heart issue. You know, sometimes we're good at beha behavior modification, but we're not so good at heart modification, are we? Sometimes when we want people to, to do this in the real world, when we want to change people's behavior and, and get justice done, sometimes what we do is we do one of two things. We Appeal to people's sense of self-interest. Do you guys, who was alive when, when they had the, the Jerry Lewis uh, telethon every year? I remember this one time. I was real, I was real young at the time, but uh, I do remember that he said this uh, several times. He would say, um, you can write a check for us right now, and then you can go look in the mirror, and you can say, I'm a good person. 
What was that? What was he appealing to? He was appealing to their self-interest. Do this so that you can look in the mirror and say, I'm a good person. The other thing we sometimes try to appeal to is people's sense of shame. We get on social media and say, you know, I didn't see your bucket challenge video. Do you not care? So we we either get their sense of duty or self-interest or their sense of shame involved. When we appeal to people's sense of in self-interest or their sense of duty, we fall in the same trap as these people in Isaiah 58. They did religious stuff. They did good stuff. But it didn't result in justice. But here's the thing. Sometimes what duty cannot accomplish, beauty can. I want you to hear that again. What duty, a sense of duty cannot accomplish, beauty can most people don't think of beauty and justice in the same sentence. Uh, there was a, another Harvard professor named Elaine Scarry, and she wrote a book called On Beauty and Being Just. Now, on beauty and being just, she, she took the aesthetic, uh, the, the aesthetic theories of Plato and Augustine, and she proposed this, that duty and beauty are two very different things. Duty is completely self-absorbed, but beauty gets you outside of yourself. And here's one way I think about it. I had to take a music history class in college. Now, they made us listen to Bach, and we had to listen to enough Bach that we could hear it on a test to be able to write out what what piece it was. Now, at the time, I I would listen to it because I wanted to graduate college because I wanted to make money. So I listened to Bach to make money, in essence. But you know, right now, I would pay money to go listen to Bach. It used to be duty. So in school, it was duty to listen, but... Now it's beauty. And I'll tell you what, when it was duty, I listened for just enough time that I would get it and get it right on the test. But now that it's beauty, I would sit and listen all day long. Now, Elaine Scarry says this, you will only passionately pursue justice if you find it beautiful. You'll only pursue justice passionately if you find it beautiful. Now, when my first son was born, he's 11 now. Oh, that's crazy. He's 11 now, and the most surreal thing happened when he was born, and I saw him and laid eyes on him for the first time. Believe it or not, I knew I was having a son. We knew we were having a child. We had gotten the room ready. It was in my mind, the knowledge was there that I was going to have a son. But, but when I saw him, when he was there in front of me, when I saw this beauty, this beauty changed everything. Suddenly, this beauty changed me in such a way that I knew that I would do anything for this beauty. I would even die for this beauty. Beauty changes everything. Let me tell you about another beauty that changed me. It's the beauty that I encounter in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beauty that I encounter in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, Jesus came into human history. He could have taken any form, but what form did he take? It was just Christmas, you remember, don't you? A little baby, a helpless child. Born to an unwed mother. What a scandal, right? We're told that he had no place to lay his head. The God of the universe came down and was, became homeless, guys. Can you believe that? He preached a message of relentless, radical, and reckless love that always seemed to prefer the most vulnerable. Then he was put on trial His trial was a terrible miscarriage of justice, but he went willingly to the cross and he died a death that was not meant for him. It was a death that was meant for me. 
was a death that was meant for you. And the blood that he shed, it covered all of my sins, and it covers all of yours. And when he rose again, listen, we rose again to life. Each one of us came alive again that day too. New life, beautiful life. Now this is a beautiful story, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, who he is, what he has done, is the perfect embodiment of justice. Just listen to this. Now when I see a poor and homeless, uh, helpless child, who do I see? I see Jesus. When I see someone oppressed, who do I see? I see Jesus. When I see a homeless person, I can see Jesus. When I see somebody denied justice, somebody who is a victim of a corrupt system, who do I see? I see Jesus. So now, when I look at this word justice, and through this lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not just duty. I'm not just doing stuff so that somebody will notice. I see the beauty of Jesus Christ in this. Now, in this time of Lent, oftentimes we look inward. And the reason we didn't want to preach about fasting tonight is because so much a part of living this Christian life is not just looking inward but outward. And seeing how this gospel, this cross that we're going to put on our foreheads and be marked, this is a gospel of justice. This is a gospel that should change us. And when we see the beauty of his love, how can we not help and share that and seek that love for everyone around us? If you would, pray with me. Lord God, we stand before you and ask for your mercy on us sinners. We thank you that your gospel is a perfect picture of justice And Lord God, as we're entering into this time of consecration, this season of consecration, help us not look inward only, but also let us, Lord, look to see how we can bring about your justice in our lives, in the lives of those in close proximity. And those who are in St. Louis, Lord God, help us in our church be a church that sees that part of the mission of the gospel is to bring your justice to this earth. In Jesus' holy name, amen.